Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the MBE Enterprise Podcast, where we talk about money, business, and entrepreneurship. I'm joined today on our second episode by software engineer George Mashta. George, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you? Thanks for hosting me. Oh, I'm doing amazing too. And I'm looking forward. I, I told Matt in the previous episode, I'm super looking forward to all these podcasts we got coming up. I love talking to people, learning from them. And I've invited on some of the smartest people I know. So that's uh, especially in the worlds of business and entrepreneurship. So everyone can look forward to that coming up for sure. Uh, George, the first thing I want to ask you about. So you work with a company. Uh, it used to be called Chemco LLC. And you guys have recently converted with a name change to Convertica LLC. And you guys competed in the Minnesota Cup recently, which for people who don't know is a massive entrepreneurship competition uh, hosted by Carlson School of Business out of the University of Minnesota. First thing I want to ask you, George, is just how was that experience overall and uh, how are things going with the Minnesota Cup? Um, that was honestly one of the most amazing experiences since we've started doing these competitions from smaller scale, university level, uh, only idea showcase or, uh, or just um, creating something from start. Um, to MN Cup, which is huge, just thousands of applicants um, from nine years old to 90 years old, um, people from all over the country competing. Um, and us getting to the semi semifinals game, uh, stage uh, was pretty big for us. Um, getting to top 10 in our division um, in clean tech um, uh, was really great. And, and what's, what's better about this um, is the mentorship opportunities that they gave us. Um, and the whole network that they have, we they provided us with two mentors um, who are uh, experts on our um, industry, uh, which is battery manufacturing and recycling. They've worked 3M, big name companies. Um, so that was very, very helpful, the feedback we got. And, and the feedback is actually one of the reasons we changed the name, even though we were super excited about Chemco. And um, when I heard the name, I was like, oh, that's an amazing name. And we were excited about Kemco. We had merch. We had uh, business cards. Uh, we still took the advice and the feedback uh, and rebranded. Um, and, and we've had only positive feedback after the rebrand. So we're happy about that. Um, and unfortunately, now we didn't make it past the semifinals. But um, just the feedback we got from judges is invaluable. Um, and we're looking forward to incorporating it and participating in future competitions. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that we realized uh, just even at eFest was the feedback you get, the connections you make, all that stuff is huge. You know, the, the, the prize money you might win um, for placing, you guys might have still won a decent chunk, placing top 10 for sure, uh, seed money for your business. But the prize money, you know, that's that's almost secondary, right? It's It's hard for people to wrap their head around sometimes. But when you're talking about massive business ventures that might need, you know, a half a million dollars or more in startup funding, you can be like, well, yeah, we won X amount of money, but actually that only goes so far like, and it's great. But you might have mentors that you meet or connections that you make at these things that could realistically go on to benefit you millions down the road. And uh, what's kind of some, well, one thing I was going to ask is how did you actually come up with the name when you converted to Convertica, no pun intended, uh, what kind of went into that decision, actually, with with the mentors you said? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we took into consideration the feedback we got from eVest mentors um, um, and judges when they were like, okay, we feel like this is a great idea, but the name doesn't um, emphasize exactly what we do. Um, and it might be a little bit far from our mission and uh, it's maybe old school. They said it's a little bit vanilla um, and we kind of agree with that. Um, so we started looking into all sorts of names. Um, we actually ended up using an AI tool um, to generate just a list of ideas. And we maybe threw away hundreds of names that were generated by AI. But finally, we found this one that wasn't taken or there wasn't a website in its name. And we were like, kind of is the mission converting um, lithium-ion batteries into their original form of um, raw materials, and it kind of uh, sounds modern as well compared to Chemco, so we, we decided to choose that. Awesome. Yeah, I was actually going to add that to uh, what you guys actually do there over at Convertica LLC. And yeah, um, essentially recycling lithium-ion batteries. For people who aren't aware, well, actually, I'll let you tell us, George, what kind of items are lithium-ion batteries found in throughout the world? Yeah, absolutely. So it's much more than you think. Um, the most obvious people that know are your laptops, your phones, um, recently electric cars. So your Tesla, even your uh, um, plug-in hybrid or hybrid sometimes um, has a huge um, uh, lithium-ion battery or your uh, solar power system that also uses um, lithium-ion and a lot of cells of it. So huge quantities um it might also be in your leaf blower uh, or smaller de devices just like that so for all of you listening we're talking a potential billion dollar company like that you got a long way to go right as any startup does but i mean we're talking massive target market here am i right george yeah absolutely um just to put it into perspective um there's about two thousand lithium-ion batteries per person in the united states uh, so that's 2,000 per person. That's a lot of batteries uh, for only three end-of-life processing facilities. So in the United States, there's three places that take those batteries and recycle them. And they only cover 5% of that huge number of batteries. So there's 95% of those batteries that are uh, either end up in landfills, um, seep chemicals into the environment, uh, harming drinking water and um, crops and like farming. Um, so the market is huge and it's growing only by regulations because now most cars have to be uh, electrified by uh, 2030 or 2035. Um, and the market is estimated to reach 500 billion um, in about 15 years. So it's a huge market. There's a lot of new battery manufacturing, um, but not a lot of recycling. Gotcha. I mean, that to me sounds like the perfect target market to start a company especially in the tech space and recycling space and how did you guys how did this idea actually come about um, not necessarily the name you know chemco obviously that's what it was at the time but how did the ideation process of this really work and how did you get connected with it or did you found it yeah absolutely so um just like how you should find any idea is the problem um, my co-founder Gabriel uh, worked at a Toro dealership where they sell like um, leaf blowers, lawnmowers, um, and customers would come and be like, hey, there's this battery that I want to get rid of. Do you guys recycle it? And they would take it and they would just leave it on the shelf. Um, so Gabriel called, 
hundreds of places be like, do you guys take lithium-ion batteries? And they said they don't. Um, so that kind of sparked the problem, uh, which is the essence of every entrepreneurial endeavor, uh, which is finding the problem and then creating a solution rather than starting with the solution and trying to find a problem around it. Um, so he, he started doing research on how to do the recycling, uh, did it in his garage, found like a way um, to recycle this battery. And he was my roommate at the time. Um, and I was working on, on another business um, called Fair Up, um, which we actually competed against each other in the Fowler Concept Challenge. And I got first place, he got third. Um, and even though that happened, I tried to, uh, I decided to take my idea behind the bar and shoot it and join him on his team because I saw the potential and, and maybe I saw the value that I can add um, as well. And that's huge. Anytime we talk about strategic partnerships, teams of any kind is, is bringing together two people with, you know, complementary skill sets, I think is absolutely huge. What would you say that, uh, Gabe, you mentioned is your, your co-founder there, um, with Convertica, what would you say are more his skill sets versus yours when it comes to within the company itself? Yeah, I feel like even though we're both very good at presenting uh, or maybe selling the idea, um, Gabriel is is more into the relationship building, communications with uh, potential uh, investors or customers or so customer discovery, which is a pretty big thing when you're starting a business. You want to know who, who your customer is. Um, and for me, I'm more the product side, uh, prototyping um, and, and getting to the nitty gritty um, of the business. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that idea that you actually went and competed against Gabe with originally. Was that your first entrepreneurial venture or is there something in the past that kind of what was your first experience with entrepreneurship and, and how you knew you maybe wanted to get into it a bit? Yeah, I wouldn't say I knew right away there that I was going to get into it, but maybe my first entrepreneurial endeavor was in first grade. Um, I was in a private school and I would um, take pieces of paper from students and make them into shapes, so like a boat or um, or shapes like that, like origami, and I would sell them back, even though it's um, their paper. Um, I got reported to the principal and they had to talk to my parents, but I think that was pretty entrepreneurial of me. Um, and then that kind of ended up just translating into me trying to come up with many ideas, um, along the years, starting a movie production business or even nonprofits that I ended up, um, starting in my high school, uh, years. But when I came here to the U S, um, uh, to St. Thomas, that kind of uh, opened a lot of doors for me to explore bigger ideas. Um, so far my freshman year, I also competed, uh, with also a different idea uh, that was an app um, to help kind of people who want to study abroad find scholarships because there's a huge amount of scholarships out there, um, not a way to find uh, specifically ones that match you or mentorship. Uh, so we kind of created that. Um, I After we competed, I thought maybe this is not going anywhere. So we started a second idea. Um, even though we won first place, uh, we got so much feedback uh, and thought maybe this is not the time to start that. And I keep jumping until I got into the Convertica team where I was like, this actually might go somewhere and we're still trying to make it happen. For sure. I love that story. And I have to mention, I absolutely love that first grade story you told about 
not only was it entrepreneurial in the sense of, you know, selling it back to them, but recycling what they'd thrown away with the paper. That's awesome. Uh, it's similar. Mm -hmm. My first experience with it when I kind of realized that I really loved it was pretty similar. Also in school, also got in trouble. Um, Mountain Dew actually is what it was. So that was a big craze about my junior high years and in a high school. And, uh, you obviously couldn't have pop on campus of the school, which is why we eventually got caught. But we'd go, you know, during noon hour, go buy them in bulk, sell them for a dollar a piece to the people. Definitely mm -hmm. not allowed at all. And, but it was, uh, it, it lit a spark and, uh, I think it was definitely worth it in the long run for sure. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you is clearly entrepreneurship is big in your life, but what about your major software engineering? What, have you always been interested in technology? What kind of made you get into that? It's an amazing major, in my opinion. I'm not a software engineer, but I, many times I've thought about like if I ever would go and get pick up another degree, uh, it would it would be software engineering for sure. Because I mean, to me that seems like the future. But uh, you can probably give us a better perspective on that, George. Yeah, absolutely. I've always um, been interested in technology. Where asking like for my first computer um, at home as a kid, or um, the kind of getting into programming at an early stage in high school. Um, and you, there's much more in common between entrepreneurship and computer science than you might think. Um, and, and yes, I've always known that I wanted to major in computer science. Um, but then when I discovered entrepreneurship, I was like, this is like the perfect pairing because both majors deal with solving problems. Um, and problem solving is very big for an entrepreneur and for a software engineer. Um, and having that skill in both majors and kind of in uh, different skill sets complement each other, uh, where I can be on the technical side, which is more um, logical thinking, and entrepreneurship, which is more creative thinking, um, and have them complement each other so I can keep going in both uh, is very valuable to me because if I focus on just one, I'm going to maybe kill the other. Um, so I want to focus on both of them. Um, and Compared to other people here in the U.S. who go into the major for um, the money, um, well, now it's kind of crashing. There's a lot of competition in the field. Uh, I didn't go into it in the money, even though the scholarship that I got to St. Thomas was to study entrepreneurship. Uh, I was like, I still want computer science. Um, um, and when I was in Syria, I had planned to study it there, even though there is one of the lowest incomes. Um, so my decision wasn't money driven. Rather, I wanted something that um, made me think critically, uh, which was problem solving. And I also discovered that in entrepreneurship as well. Uh, so now I can do it in both and maybe blend them both by making, being innovative in software. For sure. I love that you mentioned problem solving. It, it's so trivial, but I tell people all the time, entrepreneurship, in my opinion, it's, that's just a synonym for problem solving essentially is what it is. Like, cause that's, that's all it is, right? People think, entrepreneur, start a business, make millions. It's easy. Like most people probably don't think that, but there are a select few that do. And it's a constant problem solving endeavor is really what it is. And I just think it, it blends so well with the technology space right now. Obviously there's innovation happening everywhere you look. Um, going on with that innovation, you mentioned earlier Convertica, when you were coming up with that name, you and your partner that you used AI. And we're going to talk a lot about AI on this podcast, I'm sure. What are your thoughts on 
automation, AI, um, machine learning, when it comes to specifically in entrepreneurship and almost kind of the ideation process of companies? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think AI is pretty big and people are seeing how much it's affecting our life. Um, they made fun of it. And now in every syllabus on campus, you see the word chat GBT, uh, whether it's like you can use it or you can't use it. I think smart professors are the ones that are like, we can't fight this, like you're going to use it either way. So we might as well use it to our advantage. And, um, and this is something that um, business people can um, use to their advantage is because AI will not um, be smarter than human ever. Um, so if you ask it to come up with ideas for a business, uh, it's never going to be better than you uh, brainstorming, but you can leverage this AI to help you be better at what you do because combined power is always um, better than one person um, and using AI to let's say brainstorm names that that worked for us um, with adding the human touch um, to it um, so I think always um, putting you first then using the AI uh, should be the priority because um, the way that you're you're not going to be left behind with this automation uh, revolution is you got to do something that the AI can't do, or it's going to replace you. Exactly. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Archimedes once said, give me a long enough lever and I shall move the world. And that is where AI is, at least right now, uh, to me, it, it's the ultimate leverage tool that you can use right now and starting a business in your business that's already established anything in that space. It's, it's a leverage tool. One thing I want to touch on that you said, it'll never be smarter than humans. You don't think, does that mean like elaborate on that? Cause I think there's a lot of people out there that think it's eventually going to, you know, take over the world. I think that's a pretty common uh, concept. So could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, the way AI works is it's trained on models that use data that's already out there and it's people who made the data. Um, so it's, it's just the matter of the AI can pull information in real time from uh, the internet compared to you, you have to like memorize it. So that's where the, the piece of you using the AI to leverage um, your work comes in. Um, but there's definitely questions about the ethics of um, the giving limits to AI and um, not letting it go out of control, um, which, which might be a problem in the future. And you also mentioned things like chat GPT in schools and how you think smart professors, you know, will allow the students to utilize that as a lever for their work. And I, I agree with that. Um, I think that a, it would be a way to get your students to really like you, uh, not banning it. Cause anytime a professor brings that up to ban it, what's the first thing the students are going to do is they're going to go look it up and see how it works and see if they can find a way to get around it. Right. But I really think using it as a tool and, and teaching that in classrooms, and I, I'll say this every episode, I'm 22 years old, I'm young, dumb, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Don't listen to me. But I think it'd be smart to teach them to use it as a lever to get ahead in life because it is here to stay. I think that's one thing, you know, for the last few years, um, you had questions, maybe people had questions, oh, there was maybe this breakthrough, but then nothing happened for a while. So like, oh, may maybe nothing big is happening. I think you can say the same thing about the internet back in the day, right? Before, before I was even born, um, people had questions about that as well. And they're like, oh, this won't be here to stay. This will never happen, this or that, right? And 
and it's here to stay. Now, I, th- I think pretty much everyone agrees on that universally that AI is now here to stay. So I think taking advantage of that is one of the best things that professors could do. That's my little spiel there. Um, moving on with uh, AI, do you guys have any plans to like really integrate it into Convertica or is that already part of the process? Um, machine learning, anything like that? It's not really now part of the process just because um, recycling is um, is a very labor-intensive thing, and especially with the dangers of um, the materials that are in the battery, it's got to be handled in specific ways. Some people might argue that machines might be more, more um, specific in how they handle the battery, so that might be something we invest in in, in the very future. Um, but for now, on our scale, um, it's probably just going to be human um, with using the technology just to uh, enhance um, this the specificity of our process. I think that's something that a lot of people find really interesting. And I'd like to get your thoughts on as well as far as AI goes. Most people thought that AI would, when it broke through and really became a staple in our society, would be through those, you know, lower level like labor intensive jobs and it kind of appears like most people thought it would never touch the creativity space and never touch humans in that regard and even though it's trained on you know code that the humans have made it it still seems to be incredibly efficient in coming up with creative ideas maybe they're not perfectly original you know because you mentioned obviously it's trained but they can come up with so many so fast and speed is the name of the game like you were saying with your uh, company's name even now so what's kind of was that something that you sort of expected going forward that ai would kind of take over more of that creativity realm first or or not well um you can see technology taking over since a long long time ago and how it starts is, is takes the simpler tasks first um, and creativity might be the last one to be taken um, by AI, just because it's as creative as we let it be. Um, and humans are always the ones that have been um, innovating. We first saw the computer and they're like, is the computer smarter than the, uh, the humans? And we clearly can see that it's not um, because when they asked that question, the computer was this size and um, it can barely do calculations. And we're the ones always evolving it. Um, but there, there is a time and place that um, AI will be just so evolved um, that it might not need that training anymore, or it might not need us to um, tell it what to do. Um, but I don't think that's going to be a problem. Got you. Got you. Um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there again with, with as far as it's only creative as you can let it be. The, the true the true beauty of AI is the speed, right? That it can, they can put things out and just the, the, it's ability to just change one variable, you know, or like, I, I want this, uh, uh, tweak this a little bit, boom, done. Okay. Tweak this, boom, done. And you can just do it thousands of times over and it'll just keep giving you different ideas. That's really how it can be leveraged the best. Um, and I want to, I want to take a little bit of a step back here, George, uh, out of the AI space for a bit, I'm sure we'll get back on it, but back to entrepreneurship. Um, and when you, you talk about the multiple companies and kind of switching back and forth, one thing that I wanted to ask you earlier. Are there some specific signs? Uh, do you look at potential, uh, you know, the ceiling of the company as a whole that you look for? Are there other things in regards to whether you're going to pivot 
and this could be pivoting from business to business or pivoting an aspect of the company, tweaking it, changing it, or whether it just say, takes you know some some good old elbow grease and hard work, and you got to power through it. Uh, what what are can you give us some insights on that, at least in your experience? Well, definitely a big part of it is feedback. Um, you have to seek feedback from people you trust, uh, people who are um, either experts in the field that you are trying to explore or um, experts in just creating a business in general. I mean, you, you might argue that there's some people who have been told that their idea is crazy uh, and then went to be billionaires. Um, so that's, that's, in my opinion, just gambling. Um, but if you do your research um, uh, well, you should be able to know if this idea has potential or not. Um, sometimes it's not the potential. Sometimes there's, um, sometimes there's so much potential and the problem might be in your solution. Um, so the um, viability um, of the solution or um, the finances, sometimes there might be a solution and a big problem, but you can't make money off of it. Uh, so there's a lot of moving factors here that uh, you've got to research and study and see that it might come into a, a whole business plan or not. Got you. Um, yeah. And that, I believe it's a quote by Walt Disney, um, quote by Walt Disney that says the crazy ones, the, those who are crazy enough to believe that they can change the world are the ones who do. And I think that is true in anything, that confidence aspect and that, and that belief that you can do it um, is true in entrepreneurship, is true in knowing, like, I love that you talked about as well, just getting feedback. I think that's so important. So many people, myself included in the past, so often, you want to do it on your own. Your ego gets in the way and you want to just, oh, I can do it on my own. I don't, I don't need their help. Not necessarily, I don't like them or anything like that, but just simply like, I think I can do it on my own. And, and that, that really, what that is, is saying, you know, I don't want the help and I think I'm better than I am basically. And why would you not? It goes back to mentorship too, right? Why would you not take the help from people who have made the mistakes? Um, they've also had successes probably, right? Uh, it's, Thomas Edison, I believe. I haven't found, I haven't failed 10,000 times. I've simply found 10,000 ways it didn't work. And looking at it like that is extremely valuable um, going forward. You, you've given us a lot of different points that I think are extremely useful to entrepreneurs already, George. But one thing I wanted to ask you, what's one thing, if you could give one piece of advice to future entrepreneurs out there or maybe current ones that are battling through an endeavor right now, What's one piece of advice you would give them and why? Yeah, I always, the piece of advice that kept me going is you're just, you, you don't know how many failures away you are from success. Um, so you just, as you said, you just think of it as one less failure to go. Um, and you're going to hit the gold pot at some point because um, the more you fail, the more you learn. And these failures are probably much more valuable um, than if that business succeeded anyways. Um, so the lessons you learn, just apply them and you'll be good to go. It's also a great way to maintain hope too. And you don't want it to be false hope, obviously, but, but that hope aspect of ah, one more try, one more try, one more time, one more tweak. And, and that might be the one that really pays off. Um, and I think that that is extremely important. What about some qualities, George, uh, that you maybe take pride in of yourself or 
are hoping to get better at? Uh, what are some qualities that you think are extremely beneficial to entrepreneurs as a whole? Um, well, I feel like qualities that make a good entrepreneur are the same ones that make a good person, a decent person. Um, just being humble, um, working through stuff, um, just being organized. Um, perseverance is very important um, because if the first um, wrong thing comes out and you're going to quit, that's not going to be uh, working very well for you in entrepreneurship because uh, there's a lot of things that are going to go wrong and uh, how you handle that is, is going to translate into how your business is going to become. Um, but in my opinion, being, being humble um, is, is very great. Um, I've seen so many people who are not humble and it's really not a pleasant um, interaction with them. And that tells a lot about um, their person. I think character is an extremely, I don't want to say underrated because I think everyone knows the importance of it. But a lot of people I feel like want to find these, you know, hacks or these, uh, I'm trying to think of the term. Uh, there, there's a term for it on the internet of uh, not DIY, but it's like something like that. Um, maybe it is hacks, just hack, like people say, like life hacks. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. People are always trying to find, you know, life hacks, how I can get from point A to point B the quickest. And I think one thing that people overlook is A, the process is a long one generally. And then B, just the character that it takes for you to really get there. And you have to develop that character to the point where you are ultimately ready to get to that that next step. That's what I believe anyway. I think I think there's a lot of people, and I will always say myself included because I am not perfect. I'm young, dumb, don't listen to me. But I think there's a lot of people out there that really try and skip steps. And when I say that, I, that could be in a sporting event, that could be within business, that could be in school, that could just be, could be in relationships, life in general, but skipping steps, right? Like, I want the end goal, but I don't want any of the failures that it's going to take to get there. I just want to try and try and try, and but not actually try, and find some way that's just going to get me there quick, uh, get rich quick scheme, if you will. And that process of just, I think there's steps all along the way in everything that then develop your character to the point that really allows you to get to that final destination that you're looking for. You just can't get there without, or, or if you do get there, You'll see, I think a lottery winners, for example, if you do get there, a lot of them, you strike rich and then I don't know the exact number, but it's almost all of them end up losing it all fairly quickly. And I think that's a prime example, as tragic as it may be, I think that's a prime example of like skipping steps. Like you weren't ready for that, that next level. And then it's really hard to maintain it because I know Another voice that I listened to a ton I mentioned last episode is Alex Hormozzi in the entrepreneurship space. And one thing that he always mentions is getting to the top, you know, is relatively easy, but staying on top is what's, is what's really difficult. And I think that that will always, the cream will always rise to the top. And that highlights the fact that, you know, those people that are truly exceptional will, will stay at the top with, with their exceptional abilities and work ethic. And that's probably what got them there in the first place. The few that got there due to dumb luck, maybe some will make it. Most probably won't stay up there. And I think that holds true almost almost all the time. Um, any thoughts on that in particular, George? Um, well, I, I think I agree with you. Um, it's, it's a, it's my, it might be a combination of uh, good luck and uh, perseverance and being a great person and 
Uh, it's just a combination of things. Because um, if you only have one of them, that's not going to get you so far. If you, if you just have the luck, um, that might you some might win you some money at, money at the casino, but it's not going to help your business keep running. Like, let's say if you just found yourself now and running a billion dollar company, you're not going to probably know how to run it because the person who started it is probably the most suitable or, or person who has that experience um, or earned their way there is probably the most suitable to run it. And it's the same way in every aspect of life. Uh, you need to uh, go through those hard phases. Um, you need to learn so you can earn um, your way through it and know what to do when you get there. Awesome. Awesome. Um, turning the table a little bit here, I have another question for you and it has to do with the fact that you are currently in school, I believe. Um, you also are founding or uh, involved with a startup company. Um, how do you find the time to do everything? I know a lot of people think that they don't have enough time in the day, but uh, how do you kind of manage that work-life balance um, and school work-life balance, I guess, now for you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I feel like the most important thing is just have a tool that you can work out to time manage to people um, like paper and pen. And some people use a calendar. I, I use Google Calendar. Um, to organize just kind of my life and because I can't keep track of what I have next. Um, and one big thing is know how to prioritize because uh, most of the time you're not going to be able to get everything done. Um, and knowing uh, what goes first and how much power um, you need to put in each thing um, is is the real, um, uh, it's is what makes difference here. Um, because if you know that, I mean, that, that also applies to just like schoolwork. Um, there's multiple classes, multiple credits, um, and assignments that are valued um, less or more than others. Uh, and that also applies to the business where there's stuff you need to do for your business that are valued more than the other. And there's stuff with deadlines. So knowing what to do first and how much energy you need to spend in time uh, is what gets you there. And as far as prioritization goes, I, I've seen this thing. I'm curious if you've seen it before. I don't know the exact name of it, but I believe it's separated out into like four quadrants. Uh, so a square and four quadrants. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a prioritization tool that some people use for writing down their tasks. And it's like so, it goes something like top left corner is the most important things that need to get done at the nearest time horizon. And the bottom left corner is lesser important things that need to get done um also on a shorter time horizon and the top right important things that need to get done on a long-term time horizon and then bottom right less important things on a long-term uh, time horizon do you do you find yourself uh, i know you mentioned you use google calendar do you find yourself ever using anything like that any any variation of that or uh, how do you plan your day how do you go out and plan your day? Do you have a daily routine that you do consistently all the time or is it, does it really differ from day to day? I've always wanted to have a daily routine, just seeing all these videos of entrepreneurs waking up at 3 a.m. Uh, every time I make a schedule, I just don't stick to it. I don't, I don't think that's the way I operate. Some people might enjoy that, enjoy that but um, I feel like I just go with the flow. I, if I have tasks for the day, I'll deal with them and then tomorrow I'll deal with tomorrow's tasks. Um, and I like to have some time in during my day just to kind of just 
reflect on what I have to do and if there's something that needs to be done urgently. Um, it's not the best uh, way to go about things because I miss some stuff and I'm probably late on most of my stuff. Uh, so I'm still exploring different uh, just work frames um, of what to do. Yeah, and per- perhaps it could be, it, it might work better for you. I think one thing that has come about a lot recently and kind of the, the age, almost the trendiness of like entrepreneurship as a whole is this kind of one size fits all approach that, you know, if you do this, if you take a cold shower in the morning, you will make a billion dollars. Or if you wake up at 4 a.m., you will operate a billion dollar company. I think while those things, I don't know about 4 a.m., but while those things might be useful in the long run, even for your health, perhaps in the case of like a cold shower uh, in the morning, those sorts of things, they're not necessarily one size fits all. And I think that again comes down to the idea of just people wanting a life hack, right? They don't want to, you don't want to go through the process of really actually finding kind of what works for you because it's difficult. Then you have to try a lot of different things, right? But, but if people just find a video and they're like, oh, this is it, this will get me a million dollars, I'll just do this. I think that almost in itself is kind of uh, belittling the, the actual process of, of having a routine, you know, and the, the importance of having a routine in some regards. And I mean, what do I know, <laughs> really? But do you have any, for I guess for me, for example, I definitely am a routine-based person. I like operating on a routine and doing similar stuff all the time. Um, but it's definitely not for everyone. And a creative mind like yourself, like you're talking about one of the strengths of yours is ideation when it comes to companies. And that's, I would say the creativity in, in my own life is is not my strong suit. I'm much more just like numbers, data analytics, that sort of thing. So I, I think that definitely could be something that fits for you. Or maybe you'll you'll eventually find a routine that's just absolutely perfect and, and works well. Uh, George, what are your thoughts on Elon Musk and the recent switch from Twitter to X? Um, yeah, that that is very interesting. A uh, person with that much um, power just playing around um, is definitely something that we're not used to. Um, but I, I saw an interview of him being asked, like, do you care about what this means? So like the stock price or like how much money you're going to lose because of the stuff you're doing. Um, and he just responded that he like doesn't care because it like doesn't harm him. Um, I don't feel that he is my role model. Um, he might be some people's role model. I just feel the way he um, deals with things is a little bit childish and um, just infused with the power provided by money, uh, which I don't like. What are your thoughts on the one thing I always find interesting about, because you, you can't deny the fact he's an interesting, uh, an interesting person, interesting CEO to say the least. And frankly, an exceptional an exceptional figure in the world of business. I mean, with the companies that he does run, do you think uh, SpaceX um, or Tesla, some people argue that Elon Musk's personality hurts those companies because of the, you know, the drastic things he does, um, the unpredictability, uh, the nature of him. But, Sometimes I wonder if it actually helps them. You know, it get, you can't deny the fact he's always in the news. You know, one of them's always in the news. And obviously, you're talking space travel and the future of electric vehicles 
across the map. So you might say those would be in the news either way, but is there any aspect of that personality that, that might be actually helping the, the valuation or the, the long-term prospects of those companies, do you think? I mean, his, his childish personality is probably balanced by his uh, sheer innovation and, and um, the way he got, got those companies to billions of dollars is probably by um, being a good entrepreneur. I mean, he, he wouldn't get there if, if he was all just his personality. Um, but um, there's much better ways to use that position of power, um, whether it's philanthropy or I, mean, I don't know what he does with his money. I'm not an expert, but um, it, if, it his, if it's his way of um, getting publicity, then good for him because it's working. Um, yeah. If it's his way of saying, I don't care, good for him because that's like his company and um, his money. And I feel that um, each person should run their business in their own way and like, not just um, depend on what other people do. For sure. For sure. Um, now, tying in those two things, I know Elon's not directly related to the AI space, but he is more than a lot of people, I suppose. Finishing around, wrapping back around to AI, uh, where do you kind of see it going? Both the long term, we kind of talked about this earlier a little bit, um, but kind of in like the next few years or so, the next, what kind of major changes do you think people are going to see potentially in like day-to-day lives, not just necessarily in business? Yeah, so I feel like the biggest side that we're already starting to see is self-driving cars. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things we've dreamt of as humans you see in movies and in novels as old as the 90s um, of like flying cars and um, and they are they drive themselves and, and I think that's one big thing um, of self-driving cars is that might um, eliminate a lot of accidents. I know they put the spotlight on accidents caused by Teslas and self-driving, um, but those are just like one out of millions uh, compared to a bigger percentage by human. And if you think about it, AI is only getting better. Uh, it's kind of like a snowball effect because um, it's trained on data and then it uses that data um, to do something. And then it uses the data doing that something to train itself. So the more it does the something, the better it is. Um, so it's kind of a snowball effect. We're going to reach a point um, where the graph is going to exponentially uh, go up of how advanced it is and it's going to take over a lot of sides of our lives making it better hopefully because that's that's what technology is for just making our life easier and better and that's where i feel it's headed so i would say that humans learn from you know their prior experiences and prior humans historical figures and you just mentioned how ai kind of does a similar thing and i want to bring this back to something you talked about earlier how you don't necessarily believe that it'll ever get smarter than humans. But if it is able to, you know, train itself 10 years from now, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, at that exponential rate that you're talking about and, and in a bunch of different avenues, um, how do you think that it wouldn't eventually overtake humans as far as knowledge goes? Well, uh, that's where I feel... Um software people's role uh, come in of just setting the limits of what this AI can or can't do. 
Um, I mean, you can see it now at smaller scales in ChatGPT where um, there are certain things that you can't use ChatGPT for. Some people keep finding, like, uh, playing around that and trying to find a way around it. Um, but there's always um, a team of people that's their job to know where to put the limit, where not to cross the line. It's basically the same with controlling uh, a human and telling them the set of rules that is called law in our society. And it's to govern that society of people. Um, it's probably the same thing going to be with AI, but it's much easier because it's a program that you can just write some lines to control. For sure. And that, that I'm sure that's a category where someone who's very, very advanced, very smart in the world of technology and software like yourself would know way more than someone like me, who's just a finance numbers guy and, and probably most people on the planet that you know more about that than. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that's interesting because I think that's, you know, I mentioned earlier, one of the most trending things in the world today is AI and, and the future of it is therefore also trending. So it's certainly, certainly interesting. Um, George, one thing I definitely want to ask you here is where do you see yourself in the next five years, maybe, maybe even 10 years, but uh, let's give us five years down the road. Where does uh, George Mashta see himself then? I feel like I see myself in probably business school again. I'm doing my MBA. Um, I feel like that's something um, very useful that I've seen a lot of people do, successful people. And maybe after working a couple of years, either in corporate or um, just in my own business, I feel like going back to school and putting that knowledge to work, um, get, gaining the knowledge from other people who did the same uh, would be very valuable to get out of that and then just do something much bigger after it. Got you. Are there any, are there any specific um, dreams, goals that you have of accomplishing in the long term? I know one of my favorite things uh, hearing people talk about are those dreams and goals, but also you know the, the pathways and the, the plan that they have for executing those. Um, but also just the fact that you can't ever hit a destination if you don't know where it is, right? So the concept of, of even though it might be a long-term goal, a distant dream that isn't anywhere close and maybe isn't even realistic, you can't get there if you don't see it, you know? So what are, what are those, those passions and dreams for you? Yeah, absolutely. Even though I, I dream big and think big in terms of um, the way I see how I can change the world, um, I always come back to me being just a simple family man um, and just wanting to have a simple family um, so I, I just see myself in a house with um, a wife and a couple kids, you know. Um, I don't want to be the person who works 80 hours a week. Uh, I'll do that if that's what it takes to put food on the table. But um, you said it, we have goals. And one of my goals is to use my skills to be at some point financially independent so I can do whatever I want. And at that point, I can just spend my time ideating and and innovating, but I, I can, I, I also don't want to forget um, to make time for myself and have a balanced life because there's no meaning to any of this um, that you're doing if there's not um, someone to share it with. Um, so having uh, a partner and, and kids is definitely something that I look forward to the future. Well, wow, that's extremely well said and clearly extremely generous of you. I think that's, that's a great perspective to have for sure. Um, on on that note, kind of in that in that generosity aspect, do you ever see yourself 
getting into something like private equity down the road, uh, investing in startup companies, or would you see yourself more as actually the the kind of volunteer mentor, uh, a board of directors, you know, type person um, down the road, or, or maybe both of those, all of the above? What's your thoughts on some of that? Definitely depends on how much money I will have. Um, I would say if I have the money to invest and help um, ideas that I think could be good, that's not a bad thing to do. Um, also volunteering and helping people. I feel like I, I always try to do that. I, I already um, uh, volunteer. Um, so like I came to the US, I got a full scholarship and that's something that I was good at is applying to schools. And now I help um, students in Syria apply to colleges here. Um, so that's a skill that I acquired and now I'm passing it down to other people because uh, I feel like sharing your knowledge is always important. Um, you know something, you can help people. Um, you should always uh, work on helping people. So if that's something um, or a skill that I'm going to have in the future, I'll definitely look forward to doing it and just never stop innovating and helping people. Well, George, I think that's an awesome way to wrap this up overall. That idea of just always sharing, always learning, always helping others. I think that's really the reason that I made this podcast in the first place and not to, not to give myself a plug here, but that was kind of something you talked about earlier with the, the AI, you have to find things AI can't do for you. Right. And for me, in my opinion, one of those things was really building those connections and, and building that network. And, and that's really why I wanted to create this podcast in the first place to network with other you know, extremely bright-minded people that I that I thought were I could learn from. That's really where it came from. Is is who can I learn from? Who can I, um, you know, continue to develop relationships with? And then ultimately, why put it on a podcast? Well, give other people the chance that may not have some of these connections already to to watch and learn. And maybe I'll actually occasionally say something smart myself. Like who knows. The, the the world is your oyster listeners maybe you'll learn something from me but most likely from the guests so george it was awesome having you on this podcast i'm super excited with the way i'm super happy with the way this turned out i hope you had a good time and i'll look forward to having you on again sometime in the future man thank you yeah absolutely man thank you so much um, you're gonna do great <laughs>